0: Hi, welcome to episode 5 of the Ops and Gynae Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, Roger Browning here again. Welcome back. This is uh, the mini tutorial number 2 on the patient blood management's uh, mini-series for um, obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, please have a quick listen to tutorial number one if you haven't. It's um, a good sort of segue into this one. So as I alluded to in the last talk, uh, this one here is going to go over the basics of iron physiology and um, this is really important in um, understanding how patients uh, correct anemia and the role and um, pros and cons of all the different therapies that we have available once again um some, some other great people out there have done um, some really good work and can explain this much better than i ever could and the one that i found the most useful and which i also um, like to give a really good plug to is the blood safety learning website again and specifically um, the one that really Hammersholm, all this basic knowledge which you need uh, is the um, module on iron deficiency anaemia, really useful and um, in fact, um, quick disclaimer, I actually went through it again quickly before I giving before uh, recording this talk now. So hopefully all you guys are ready. Um, I guess you're thinking to yourself, God, this is going to be boring and please don't um, turn off the recording now. Uh, because I'm going to try my very best not to put you to sleep and I'm not going to try and teach you all you need to know to the level of being a hematologist. I want you to understand the basics so such that uh, any um, health practitioner, be you, a doctor, a midwife, nurse, uh, a laboratory scientist can understand um, how ions handle well the body and Uh, the the really important things in the straightforward patients that you need to know. So, I'm going to try and keep this to about four slides. The first slide, which I think is where all the money is, is you need to understand where is iron in the body. So, uh, most adults have 3 to 4 grams or 3,000 to 4,000 milligrams of iron in their body. And as you can see from this diagram, the majority of that is actually in their circulating red cell mass. So uh, 60 to 75% of the iron in your body is uh, the iron that is contained in hemoglobin in your red cells, okay? That's a big, probably the take home point. And then on top of that, most of us, if we are healthy and have normal normal, um, iron stores, have another 500 to 1000 milligrams of iron in our reticuloendothelial system. Um, which is basically um, uh, mainly in the liver and the bone and um, cells in the bone marrow, most my understanding. And then smaller amounts of iron are needed. It's a crucial sort of functional iron, which is needed for myoglobin. Enzymes and things like mitochondria Really, really important things like that, um, and a really tiny amount on transferrin. So this is key for understanding um, calculating doses of um, iron for replacement and... Um, uh, a really important concept to have um, in your head okay this slide a bit more uh, complicated but not really not as complicated as you think so stay with me for a few more minutes so we've talked about where iron is how does the body handle iron so the key things you need to know just as a sort of basic uh, anyone involved in the medical field is that the body does not have a, um, a method whereby it can actively excrete iron it controls the amount of iron in the body by by regulating its absorption. So, when you uh, eat or swallow something that contains iron, you usually meat, but it could be a ferrograd or something like that, then obviously uh, passes into the gastrointestinal system. And as you can see, maybe I can get the uh, cursor up here. Uh, when it's in the intestinal lumen, it is actively transported via some molecular mechanism. Into the cells that line the gut. Now the key thing here is this is where it's regulated is is that um, the the rate limiting step is getting that iron from the inside of that enterocyte across the basolateral membrane and into the body uh, via a protein or an active transport protein known as ferroportin. So if you are for example in a healthy individual iron replete and you don't need any extra iron Um, the number of ferroportin transporters on this membrane are down-regulated such that not much of the iron comes across and all the iron that you have uh, swallowed in your diet is then um, sloughed off and um, excreted in your faeces. And you don't absorb the um, iron, you don't get iron overload. And the key method of regulating the amount of ferroportin you have to to either increase the amount of iron you can absorb or decrease it depending on um, what the body needs, is a hormone known as hepcidin. So when you have, uh, when hepcidin is secreted, so high hepcidin levels uh, lead to down regulation of ferroportin and so you get less absorption of iron. Now the same mechanism also works um, on the reticular endothelial stores, so the iron that is stored in the macrophages in your body If you are iron deficient or your bone marrow needs iron, then the level of hepcidin drops. The number of ferroportin receptors increases and the iron comes out of that storage and gets transported in the bloodstream to the bone marrow to help build new hemoglobin molecules and uh, correct your anemia. An important concept which explains why um, anemia occurs in some pathological states and why crucially why oral iron or dietary iron is sometimes ineffective is that there are a number of um, conditions which can artificially or can increase hepcidin even if you are iron deficient or not iron replete and that is basically any inflammatory condition so we'll talk about this a bit more later on in a few slides but if you have for example an acute stress response because you are infected and you've got an acute inflammatory state in your body or you've had major surgery or you have cancer, or you have renal failure, all of these things, or inflammatory bowel disease, all of these things can lead to high levels of hepcidin, um, which then down ferroportin, and though, even though you're anemic, and in fact, uh, iron deficiency, uh, iron deficiency anemia, suffering from iron deficiency anemia, despite the fact that you are swallowing iron tablets, they are not getting transported across into the body, and the, iron, the oral iron and, and the dietary iron is ineffective and doesn't correct. Um, the situation. So that is a really key thing to understand and that helps us decide which we'll talk about hopefully um, in a later tutorial when we're talking about oral iron and intravenous iron. These are the sorts of things you need to be thinking about when you decide how you're going to fix um, someone's anemia. Um, so, you know, if someone's had a major surgery or has um, um, <clears throat> got cancer and that sort of thing, um, or have just had a laparotomy, giving them iron tablets, not, not a good idea isn't really going to work okay so the other thing i'm really aware of time because i'm trying to keep these palatable and i'm aiming for 10 minutes the last one i went over by two so you guys will all be complaining to me that i'm talking too much but i just want to touch base on um, what changes on blood tests uh, and what are the sort of basic useful blood uh, interpretation of blood tests that you sh- um, should understand so key concept is that um, Often a lot of the changes on all of these blood tests, especially the full blood count, are late and um, don't reflect what's going on in the body. So you can go from a state of having full iron stores, you know that 500 to 1,000 milligrams of iron that we're talking about, and the iron stores start to fall. Say, for example, you've developed menorrhagia. This is a website devoted to ONG. Um, And then the iron stores are actually depleted. So you now, let's say, for example, you've got down to, say, 50 milligrams of iron in your... uh, in your reticular endothelial system but you've still got enough iron to um, circulate around and have a normal um, full blood count. Finally once those are depleted then you get into a state where um, you might not be frankly uh, anemic so you know your haemoglobin may be in the low slide but your um, red cell production is definitely deficient and decreased because there's not enough iron getting to the bone marrow and they're having trouble making it. Because basically just think of it as the bricks and mortar you know um, trying to build hemoglobin. To put it all together, they need um, the right ingredients, and if they haven't got the iron, they can't do it. And so iron deficiency anemia is the last step. It's a really late finding. So if someone has frank iron deficiency anemia, that's a really late stage. I guess that's the take-home point I'm trying to make. And that's only really, especially in a full blood count, it's only right at the end that you notice some changes. So um, it's important to be aware that Um, full blood count is um, not useful except in the very um, severe cases of iron deficiency. Functional iron deficiency, I'm going to really briefly mention this, but I think this is probably sort of uh, a realm where you should be um, getting advice from an expert or a haematologist or someone else, a specialist who uh, can give you um, advice in these situations, but once again this refers more to the patient who has a high hepcidin state, which I've already mentioned, um, where the enteric iron, your oral iron, doesn't get absorbed. It's also uh, sometimes masked by high plasma ferritin. So, you know, if you've got an inflammatory state, ferritin's high, but you think, oh, they've got plenty of iron in their body. But in fact, you can have a high ferritin and have low iron stores. Um, the, f- the ferritin itself doesn't necessarily have iron in it. It's just the protein that gets measured. So, so in these situations, the body makes a lot of ferritin, but that ferritin doesn't actually encapsulate an iron molecule. And there isn't actually, it doesn't actually represent a patient with lots of iron in their, uh, in their stores. So that can mask things and make it really tricky. Um, even patients who do have normal iron stores, um, if they can't mobilize the iron from the iron stores and get it to the bone marrow, they can go on to develop um, functional iron deficiency whereby they have a ability to produce hemoglobin in red cells. And so that is... Used to be, you know, it's thought to be one of the contributors, or um, this is my understanding anyway, um, you know, anemia of chronic disease. In fact, you know, some of that is what is now something call functional iron deficiency, whereby they are not able to efficiently deliver iron to the bone marrow and therefore they have trouble making hemoglobin red cells, even though they might have iron in the body. There is some, especially in um, patients who are on erythropoidin who have renal disease, intravenous iron can still work, but oral iron doesn't really help that well. Okay, that was a bit complicated, maybe we don't need to know that for straightforward ONG patients. So laboratory tests, this is the last bit, we're nearly finished, stay with me guys. Um, what's the most important laboratory test? Well, it's not really a laboratory test, but I would, I'm would. i going to make a plug anyway. The most important thing uh, is not the laboratory test, it's actually talking to the patient. <coughs> so. Has the patient got menorrhagia? If so, how much have they, how how much bleeding do they get and how long have they had it for and have they ever had any treatment of it? You can almost tell, and I often diagnose iron deficiency and iron deficiency anemia without even examining their nail beds or looking at their conjunctiva or looking at any blood tests. You can tell, you talk to them and they give you a good story, you know, you can almost guess that they've got it. And then sure enough, you do the blood tests and um, voila, they have it. Pregnancy, you need a thousand milligrams of iron during pregnancy. That is um, how much the body demands. And I should have probably put that in the um, physiology section. I'm going to mention it now. So during pregnancy, you need to make more red cells, you need to transfer iron across to your baby, and you need to grow a big placenta, which is full of iron and and blood as well. And that uh, standard full-term pregnancy requires another 1,000 milligrams of iron, which is a lot. And on top of that, most women lose a bit of blood at childbirth, and some women lose a large amount of blood at childbirth, and that is all going to make <coughs> iron deficient. Um, and as you remember, you know three-quarters of the iron in your body is in your blood. So if you lose a couple of litres of blood, i.e. You know, 30 know 40% of your blood, um, you are losing a lot of iron along with that. Another plug, so if someone does not have a good a good reason, a good history of blood loss that they can describe, um, but they are iron deficient or anemic, then um, you know, don't forget, you need to figure out why they have it. And they could have some occult GI pathology, that's the thing you don't want to miss, an occult cancer or um, serious GI disease. But in obstetrics and gynaecology that is rare, most of the time it's staring you in the face if you take a good history. Full blood count. So let's just remember um, the World Health Organization definition of uh, anemia in a uh, non-pregnant female is uh, less hemoglobin than 120 and 110 if you're pregnant. Some other things that you might see on a full blood count which may be useful, low MCV, MCH or high red cell distribution width are all uh, clues that the patient may have iron deficiency. Don't forget that. Um, Thalassemia is the great mimic of um a low MCV and so uh, um, but, but once again one of the actual the more common thing I see is that someone says I've got a thalassemia And then you do a full blood count they're anemic got a low MCV and you go oh, it's the thalassemia Actually, probably that's the biggest mistake you can make and um, because they all need iron as well They all get the usual pregnancy related iron deficiency so take-home messages, full plug count's not that useful, you need to do iron studies, and uh, even people with um, thalassemia have iron deficiency and will get a response to iron therapy, so don't ignore them. Um, There's a lot more to iron studies than just ferritin. Um, Complicated patients, you should, you know, get someone who's um, uh, an expert in the field to to interpret a a complicated um, result, or a It was complicated, complex patient history, but straightforward stuff. Basically, if you're less than 30, you've probably got iron deficiency. Less than 15 is definitely agreed upon by everyone It's being iron deficient. In most places, less than 30 um, is their cutoff now as well. So if 15 to 30, and with a good story of of, um, blood loss or um, other obvious causes, then you probably are iron deficient. And another probably less um, well... Known point is that you can still actually have iron deficiency if you have a ferritin between 30 to 100, and, but you have a pro-inflammatory type condition. For example, renal um, failure, inflammatory bowel disease. You've just had an operation, or uh, um, in you've had a recent infection. <coughs> However, ferritin over 100 is less likely. Okay, quick plug. So this is a um, a pre. This is from the perioperative. Uh, patient blood management module on the National Blood Authority but it is very um, uh, easy to interpret and flow diagram which I think is a useful thing to look at and uh, certainly be very applicable to gynecology patients who are being optimised prior to surgery um, so that you can have a look through that um, that's really useful I'm not going to go over this page because that's sort of what we've already said uh, just recommend you get a CRP to sort of try and the renal functions try and uh, tease out those patients who have uh, who might have conditions that mask the ability of the ferritin to be useful. Some really key little things on the corner here, oral iron, um, talks about IV iron, you know, um, if oral iron hasn't worked, we'll get into that in some of the other topics. Um, interesting, a little, um, little blurb of advice they give about ferritin and how much <coughs> uh, each uh, microgram per litre of ferritin is equivalent to. And how much iron you need to reconstitute anemia. So they're saying 165 milligrams of storage iron will help you raise the hemoglobin by 10. Um, and that if, if a patient is uh, about to undergo surgery where you're expecting major blood loss and their ferritin is less than 100, maybe you should do something to optimize that. So they're even talking about sort of, um, you know, recognizing that patients with ferritin is less than 100 if they're about to undergo a major insult and lose a lot of blood, should maybe also be treated. Um, other top tips. So, let's just try in sort of summary as well. in less than 30, iron deficiency, no-brainer. You don't need to be a hematologist. Um, that sort of confirms a diagnosis, especially if you've got a good story. Other useful things to take into account. So this is, comes comes off that previous guideline I just mentioned. So. Um, that's approximately 500 milligrams in a thousand mils of blood and that is quite useful in um, obstetrics because you know sometimes you know, everyone says well that woman's had a 300 uh, sorry three litre pph well basically uh, that you know if they were if that was a normal um, hematocrit they've probably lost about 1500 grams of iron just rough uh, uh, it's a good rough measure and helps you um, understand things in your head don't forget Nice round number. I've read anywhere between 800 to 1,000 milligrams of iron is needed during a pregnancy. Um, don't forget, oral iron doesn't work very well if you've got high hypotidin state. And um, so even if you're swallowing your tablets, it, uh, it doesn't work very well and may not be able to correct the anemia. And again, don't forget the other causes of anemia. Go to the Bloodsafe Learning website. Um, go to the National Blood Authority website, look at all their modules. They've got some really good advice on how to interpret blood tests. And um, uh. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguiningquickcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.